Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Faves, an upbeat talk show where the guest chooses a topic. And in this episode, that's robotics. This week, I met with Jessica Stiles, an ex-oil and gas investment banker, of all things. Jess jumped ship in 2017 to write a book about AI and is now co-founding a predictive analytics company to help renewable energy take over the world. We talked about whether or not free will exists, our societal response to universal basic income, and how she was able to focus on writing an optimistic AI outlook in her book. We also discuss how the movie The Matrix was amazing. Enjoy. So when we first met uh, and talked about this episode, you, and I quote, I wrote this down verbatim, would robots be an okay topic or is that too general? I'm obsessed with AI and it's what I wrote a book about. So what is AI in your view and when did you start to become interested in it? That's a good question. Um, Thank you. (laughs) AI has so many definitions today. I mean, it's really become like this umbrella for so many different technologies. Um, What I see it as is really anything, well, AI specifically is really anything that um, has some autonomy in making decisions. Mm. Um, And it can cover everything from what you would call dumb AI, which is really just um, performing tasks to a smart AI, which is not really invented yet and which would be much more pervasive in its ability to like make decisions so like a refrigerator with a laptop or like with a screen on it that's a dumb ai yes that's okay a dumb AI. i mean i think it's smart <laughs> to tell me when i need to replace a filter exactly <laughs> what is also interesting is the term robots i think which is essentially ai um, in its interactive form hmm. and that can be an embodied ai so something like r2d2 or something you interact with online which we see a lot mm-hmm. on Twitter. Yeah. Obviously. So when did it start for you where you started to dig into it and be like, this is pretty cool. I need to spend more time with this topic. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's always been a bit of an interest. It probably started when I was like 12 and there's actually this um, thing that sci-fi writers say, which is whatever book you read when you're 12 years old tends to be like the baseline for really? everything that you do later on. Hmm. Um, mine wasn't actually a book. It was a movie. And it was the Matrix. Really? Yeah. Oh my God! I wasn't <laughs> was expect. I wasn't expecting that to be the answer. I wasn't sure. Like you, you were going to say some like rando old Disney movie with like those robots floating. In, I think it was called The Black Hole. My par- oh, yeah. my parents used to play that all the time. I loved The Matrix when that movie first came out. That's good. So you. I was hardcore into it. And actually, this is a terrible thing, but I haven't seen the second or the third one. That's fine. You were better off. It's only the first one that. <laughs> it really was so got good me. that you didn't want to see anything yeah, exactly. else after it. But it was like. It was. It really blew my mind as a t- as a twelve year old kid. I had not seen anything like it. I wasn't really into sci fi when I was a kid. I was more into fantasy, and that is because most um, heroes in sci fi are male. Mm-hmm. And when you're a kid, you want to see yourself. So, fantasy like was uh, my bread and butter until I saw the Matrix and the opening scene is like Trinity. Yeah. Kicking major ass. Yeah. That explains why you're wearing a full-on leather outfit and sunglasses. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so where did you go from there after you saw Matrix? I feel like that created a boon of like online information too about that topic probably. Right. 
It did. I mean, and it was a slow um, move for me because I, when I was younger, was really into doing uh, the right thing on paper. Mm. Um, so I followed a very traditional career path, worked in finance of all things. So fun. So interesting. Um, <laughs> and you know, it really drove me through my twenties. Like this was my passion was making money. I came from a family didn't have much. Um, I grew up partly in a trailer park mm. for some of my childhood. It was kind of like, I guess, suppressed this like creative energy and interest in things like AI. Um, it was something I dabbled in here and there, but it wasn't until I turned 30 and I quit my job that I went through this process of like, okay, what do I want to focus on? What is really impactful? What do I think really has the the potential to impact everybody hmm. during my lifetime? And it became like an obsession. So you mentioned uh, in kind of prepping for this topic, you mentioned a few things and you mentioned uh, one book, Homo Deus. Homo Deus. Homo yeah. Deus. Um, so, and you specifically called out like one section for me to read to kind of get like a deep background on right. artificial intelligence. So I did, I read this third, I started, to, I wasn't sure if I had enough time to read the whole thing. So I jumped to the third section of this book. This is some of the most hardcore, deepest thinking right. on consciousness, <laughs> the soul, free will, and which I wasn't even expecting. I thought that when I started reading, I was like, this guy's going to talk about robots and how they're going to take over the world. Right. And this is like 30 layers deeper than that. Right. And so I was really, sh I'm trying to see if I wrote down some quotes. The gist of it that I started, because I started at the beginning and then I drifted around. There's a lot of talk about free will not existing and I was like, what the F am I reading right now? I'm like, do I, do I have free will right now? Digging into that, do you, so you don't believe free will exists? How, how would you elaborate on that question? I mean, I wouldn't say I like totally agree with Harari. His like viewpoints on AI, which is really interesting and algorithms in general, is that there's a, there's a chance that biology is really this confluence and combination of different algorithms. So the way we think could be recreated artificially. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of that is if something can understand your tastes and understand what your next action would be, it essentially can know you better than you know yourself. And so that's his thesis around the lack of free will, especially if more and more of these technologies are in our lives making decisions for us um, without really our conscious knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's very bleak. <laughs> Very bleak outlook. I know, I don't like the bleak so much. Like, uh, it's interesting, but it's like, the whole reason I wrote a book is because there's so much bleakness out there. I wanted to write something that was more positive, which isn't really that easy to do with AI, mm -hmm. but um, it was a fun exercise. In that book, there was, uh, there was talk of the, the soul and how there are groups of people that believe in it, but it's something that you can't physically touch and prove. Right. Um and he comes back to connect that with freedom. Like you can't prove freedom, you can't touch it, so does it exist? What do you think about the soul? Do you think that exists? I do, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I think there's something I don't understand and so to say definitively it doesn't mm. is why, why do that when, <laughs> when the belief maybe motivates you to be a better person or to like try harder at something, to live your life fully. I like believing that there's something mm -hmm. a little magical about the world, whether or not it's, you know, based in science, it's what I feel. So. Just like Neo. 
Yeah. Just like Neo did. (laughs) (laughs) There was the beginning of the book um, that kind of started to get into some of the nitty gritty stuff was, which uh, was another thing you linked me to, which was Elon Musk talking about um, kind of our, our future and what we need to do to kind of stay on the wave without drowning in it, which was like a confluence of AI and humans. Like we need to embrace the fact that right. this is happening and we need to, to get on the on the horse before it's, <laughs> it's game over for us. What do you think about that? I mean, I think there's a, like, there's a number of doomsday AIers out there and they're predominantly, you know, the, the guy who invented Skype is one. And um, uh, obviously Elon Musk, um, there are organizations now that are basically trying to figure out the future of humanity and how to control this new force. Mm-hmm. Now that I've worked with somebody who is deep into these algorithms um, and understands them at a a level I never could, I'm a lot less afraid that that's going to happen right away or, you know, without certain um, hurdles being removed. Did it take you a while to get to that point or is it, was it something that happened quickly for you to change your mind? Um, I mean, I think I've always been a little skeptical that it's as... You know, the singularity, as a lot of people like to call it, is real um, because of my lack of understanding of the technology. Um, So it was really just understanding where we are at today. And we're still in the dumb AI stage, which really means that these algorithms are making calculations um, in a way that's modeled after our brains. Um, there's, There's this book called The Master Algorithm by Pedros Domingos, and it goes into, it was actually recommended to me by my co-founder, and it goes into these five different schools of thought. Everything from logic to connection or connectionism, which is essentially based on the brain, to Bayesian networks, so like some really mathematically intense stuff, um, prob- probability distributions and things like that. When you see like all the math behind what's actually happening and you understand the, I guess, the inability to take one algorithm and make it universal so that it grows and understands new concepts, that is probably the single biggest hurdle right now to like a truly intelligent AI, Hmm. a truly like decision-making conscious sentient AI, because right now it's really focused on certain tasks um, and doing those very, very well, but not transferring them to new ones. So why do you think Elon is so uh, negative? The, the bigger, like, um, I guess, near-term fear is that you have all of these really advantageous technologies in the hands of very few people. And they're being used for, you know, everything from determining what like is the best advertisement to send you when you're on your way to work, um, you know, to some of these really intelligent, like military technologies. Um, I think that what Elon's like vision is, and I don't necessarily believe that it's right, but he essentially wants to democratize AI. I think he actually says that Mm -hmm. in that talk that I, that I sent you. And um, the idea is that everybody has this implant that allows them to, Uh, retain some control over this like super intelligent tool i guess if it works it sounds yeah i mean it's like very borgish from star trek like let's just let them assimilate and (laughs) peacefully and maybe things will be okay right and it's like so um the engineering behind it like trying to attach biological neurons with these like electronic devices is just a feat 
I, so. My favorite part of the interview was he was talking to these two dudes, these two writers, I guess. They're they're like smitten with Elon. Right. Like his you ideas. They're like, oh, oh yeah. God, robots, oh, yeah. AI in my brain. <laughs> and he says something that's like to a nerd. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. He says like, this could be a simulation right now. And then the writers right. are like, what? <laughs> are you serious, Elon? <laughs> like he had them in the palm of his hand. Right. It was cracking me up. Well, I think there's like this desire to understand. And like, we're at this point now where technology is becoming such a big part of our lives. It is almost hard to tell mm. reality from it. And so it's really an easy jump to then think, okay, well, technology continues to improve. It continues right. to like be visually more and more close to reality maybe. Maybe, Maybe we're in the that. matrix. Yeah. We, we could be. <laughs> That's the come full circle with your childhood. Right. But you weren't even really a child when you watched it. Who knows? Right, right. The, uh, the book also talks about um, how we can use algorithms. Oh, this is what I was going to say. I ended up reading, I started reading on my Kindle and it's, it's dense. So I was like, yeah, I think I need to, I, need, I might need the audiobook version of this while I'm driving to work and on the train. And... It's so funny because I did the same thing with the master <laughs> algorithm. I was like, there's no way I can read this without going blind. <laughs> so he talks about, I didn't, well, also I didn't realize the, the history of the writer, but this was originally published in Hebrew and it was right. translated. He mentions algorithms so often in the book that I started to like, what is this word? I don't even know what this word is anymore. Where as a kind of a noob like myself, I was wondering if algorithms was kind of like this catch all for AI robotics and everything caught in between. But he ended up talking about how we can use algorithms to enhance what's essentially going wrong with us to almost like kind of pause the aging process or the decay of our own brain right. so that we can help to remember things or like he pointed out specifically kind of like the, the aging mother who couldn't remember their granddaughter or something and we can help that. How far off do you think that kind of thing is realistically? I mean, I would be lying if I said I knew. <laughs> I didn't even know uh, Elon had another company called Neuralink right. where he was working on these things. I, I was like shocked when I was watching it. I was like, what the hell? The speed at which things are moving these days, it's kind of hard to predict anything, I think, with certainty, especially big moves in technology that are completely um, new. Mm -hmm. I would say like now having seen some of the algorithms, the math behind some of this stuff, you know, none of these things are uh, an easy, none of these things are not a complicated problem. And I think that trying to solve the aging process is it's, it requires many different steps. It's not going to be purely one algorithm that solves it. It's like a, you know, combination of um, advances in chemistry and, and the soul and the soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, portions of the book where he referenced another study which talks about how kind of artificial intelligence obviously will start to phase out jobs. It's already doing that, you know, in various companies, but right. he talked about um, this one study said that like by the year 2030, you know, 90% of X job will be replaced totally. 87% um, he was like going down the line. And one of them was like, I think he said like waiters is that like an 83 percentile of being totally replaced by 2030? I, I was mean, like, oh my God, everyone, you know. Yes and no. I mean, well, if you think about all of the, there's actually this um, documentary that came on HBO recently. It's called The Truth About Killer Robots. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. And it's it's depressing. So I don't like <laughs> recommend it. Um, Not family viewing on Sunday night. Yeah, it's just very like dystopian. And a lot of it is about the replacement of factory workers mm -hmm. and service workers by AI. 
And you really don't think about it, but if you think about, I mean, maybe not solely restaurant workers, but if you think about now going to like a CVS, there's now these, you know, smart cash registers and one person overseeing them. Vending machines. Like I just went to Tokyo and like everywhere, like there are no real bodegas anymore. I mean, there are, but there's a ton of these vending machines everywhere. It's things like that that I think kind of creep up on you and suddenly you're surrounded by machines and you have all this choice, but you're not really interacting with people so Mm -hmm. much anymore. I truly believe that's a real issue that's already starting. Mm. And I wonder if you've seen it like in your business a little bit. Um, I mean, not outside of the normal, everyone looking at their phones to begin with period, which was referenced as this is already happening. You're looking at your device. It's connected to you at all times. So there is like a first step. The one, the one thing that I am starting to think more of is the loss of jobs in general replaced by robots and artificial intelligence and kind of like our response to that. I mean, we don't have any response planned at this moment. Like that's why a lot of politicians have said like, we need universal um, basic income. Basic income. It's like a must. I think Elon has probably said it a few times, but once that happens, you know, if that doesn't happen, we're, we're up shit's Creek big time. (laughs) But there was another part of the book, which suggested that, you know, you know, what is our society going to be like when most of these jobs have been replaced? What are we as a society going to do with our free time? And he kind of alluded to there might be more artists right, uh, popping up from this. So there's, there, there would be this kind of like weird pseudo renaissance happening in the world of robotics. And I didn't think of it that way. Well, I'll say my exit from Wall Street, because I was an oil and gas investment banker, um, it wasn't really driven by AI, but a lot of my friends who are still in that industry are seeing this massive um, like quantification of Wall Street hedge funds and you know trading shops are closing if they do it the old school way because they're getting beat by these algorithmic driven trading strategies. Mm. And I do think like, you know, what was the next thing that I did when I had a little bit of money and some time? It was like, I wanted to create something. Yeah. Um, you do start wondering like, what is the meaning of all this? If like something that isn't human can do what I do, what am I going to do with my time? I know it's a very <laughs> deep question that people probably have never thought of asking themselves. Yeah. Like, what would you do if you're, if you had a basic income, you know, would you, would you have the desire to be creative that you've had probably at a late night at work washing dishes like i've been there like oh my god i want to kill myself like <laughs> i wish i could be doing anything other than this and if i do get the chance i will but like you do you you may get that chance right and it's going to be an interesting point in history right if that happens right when that happens right i mean i think it's a good thing overall but it's just how do you like how do you think about those big shocks to society and like how do you deal with them because I really don't think it amazes me that there are these massive advances in in AI, um, and I'm working on some that are able to do calculations and able to understand data at a level that no human can. So, like one of the things we're working on, um, not to go into too much detail, but is essentially taking these huge data sets, finding the correlations between them. I'm using the wrong words, and my partner will kill me, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, finding the relationships between them, um, identifying the variables that you may not like intuitively think would be the variables driving the results, and then like putting the perfect 
you know, probability on each and forecasting forward mm -hmm. um, to an extent that no human can. And that's why they're working so well in on Wall Street. That's why anything that involves like large amounts of data, which includes a lot of white collar jobs, I think is at risk in the near term, especially if it's like data entry and rote memorization or like anything that is repetitive. Mm -hmm. All that stuff is getting tossed. Toss. Well, it's getting, yeah, <laughs> replaced. <laughs> where do where do you see things in, I mean, it's 20 years isn't even that far away. Do you see large societal changes happening that fast or is it still just very incremental? I mean, we don't even barely have autonomous cars yet. I think it's death by a thousand cuts. Maybe not death. I don't want to say death. <laughs> I actually like now I sound so negative, but I want to make the point yeah. that like I, it's both and it's. So there's this, this quote by Stafford Beer, who's like a well-respected guy in the science community. And the acronym is POSIWID, and it means the purpose of a system is what it does. So AI is not necessarily evil. It's what you choose to do with it. The reason why my co-founder and I are working on what we are is because we want to use this technology for social good. And there are so many ways it could be utilized to do that, that it's, it's, it's really not right now. It's very underutilized, very focused on things that are you know, maybe high rate of return immediately for, for companies, but long-term, what good are they really doing for society? So I really think, I mean, once the public gets more involved with like conversations on this stuff, I think it's going to shift and change and there's going to be a lot of pushback and it's never going to happen like overnight with no one noticing. Mm -hmm. I think it's when people start to you know, become angry because they don't have a place to work or they right. don't have the work they want um, that you're going to start seeing. Reminds me of this quote from the book that I wrote down. Ideas only change the world when they change our behavior. There you go. I mean, you're living it right now. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. Yes. There was another one. Having, having power used to be having access to data. Now power is knowing what to ignore. So I thought it was a very that is so good. forward yeah. thinking quote because this book came out like 2016. Right. And even now it's like more potent than ever that oh, line I, like attention is the new economy it's all about like where you're focused mm -hmm. and i mean even ads it doesn't really matter where they're placed if you're not looking at them if you're looking down at your phone right, right. so me and my buddies uh have a slack we've kind of like drifted off from twitter in general like talking to each other so we we've, we have like a private slack that we just kind of be cynical to each other and make jokes right. but um there's like a funny side effect we joke that it's not like end-to-end -end encrypted because if we type about you know um some jacket brand we'll immediately get an ad in our instagram for whatever we're typing about even if it, like right. we weren't the one that typed about it we joke like oh, hey look at this ad i just got instagram thanks to you <laughs> so it's like screwing up like everything and that's the little things that we don't really realize, we joke that they're like big changes, right? but they are big changes. Like all this data that we're handing over willy nilly, which I think is another thing, connecting to the user flow makes us feel a part of something. So we give up our privacy. Right. I mean, you don't really understand how much privacy you've given up until it's probably too late. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be optimistic and say there's going to be pushback, hopefully, um, from the public groups that yeah. are responsible for these things. And I and I will say there are a ton of smart people thinking about these things. There are organizations of like AI experts that are trying to like increase awareness and think more strategically about what should actually be done with these mm. technologies. So one is called FAT, 
ML. I love so it, it already. For fairness, accountability, transparency in machine learning. You know, I, I do again want to point to the fact that I do think overall people want a good future. Like I, I struggle to see like everybody just being like, okay, let's succumb to like yeah, it's happening. Living let's surrounded by advertisements. Yeah, you know? like I, you know, I think hopefully in the next maybe twenty nineteen is the year that people start like really pushing back and trying to get um some of the stuff used for for different purposes what was i mean it's finally happening this year with um facebook kind of getting negative pushback right like everyone kind of figured that nothing's gonna hurt facebook and now you know it's finally starting to happen so that's at least one thing that do you even use facebook anymore i don't really i have it i don't log in and like post updates yeah the last thing i saw on facebook was i just saw it an ad for half double design dot com, not your granny's crochet. You can get custom scarves, hats, gloves, blankets, you name it. Amanda is waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Half double design dot com. My wife just recently made fun of me because I shared like a memory that she posted and then like I didn't include what she wrote ahead of it. So it was just this random memory that I shared and she like essentially called me my own dad. Like I'm, I'm not even that old and I'm doing it wrong. Um, I can say that I don't use Facebook, but I'm so in Google. Like I'm all in on Google. So me too. I can stick a, take a stand on Facebook, but it doesn't really work out because Google right. has everything. Right. So I don't know. I, I mean, I see articles all the time of like, oh, I left Twitter, Facebook and Apple this week and it's very hard. Like, yeah, no shit. But I don't know if there's a feasible way you can do it almost. Like, what company are you going to join up with if it's not Google? Apple, sort of, but they talk a big game and say, like, we care about users of privacy, but we're going to give $2 billion to Google, Google or they're, we're going to take $2 billion from Google so they can be the default search engine. You know, they're not that perfect. There is, like, some pushback. So I went to this talk, and I'm going to get the name of it wrong. I'm not, I actually don't remember it. Can I send it to you? Yeah. So it's like an alternate Google and it's supposed to tag everything that you search for with the source. So you can essentially see like, basically it's a way to like deal with fake news Mm. because now you're like tying everything to where it comes from. And it's a huge undertaking, but there are like people and the, um, the guy who started it, I'm also blanking on his name, but he worked at Disney. Um, he's kind of a big corporate guy and I think saw what was happening with everybody's data and has like had this epiphany that the only people that can change it are probably the people on the inside that like have yeah. the understanding of how to do it. I'll link to it in the show notes so people can okay. find out more information but, about it. Yeah, I mean, Google, I use Google for everything. I think everybody uses Google for everything. I couldn't do my job without Google. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it's you can't so tell efficient. your job, like, ah, I'm kind of on a thing where I'm not using Google. I know. And they'll tell you to get that out. Uh, I <laughs> and, I mean, the other thing is, like, all these people, these, like, young entrepreneurs, they start these companies and then sell to Google very mm-hmm. quickly. So, yeah. it's just like this machine. What can you do? It's yeah. very useful. I want to talk a little bit about your book which I wasn't sure was out and about because I wanted to read it in advance of our conversation, but I wasn't able to. Like, what what led you to write your own thing? And how did that come about? Well, I was looking at doing different things. I'd always wanted to, like, do something creative. Like I mentioned, I mean, um, I think it was, like, a suppressed part of me for a long time. So, you know, I'd thought about... Um, 
going straight back to work after quitting, I kind of had this moment of like, okay, I don't want to do oil and gas anymore. I want to be part of the future. I want to be part of renewables, which I do believe are inevitable and they're on their way. I wanted to be part of AI because again, it was like a personal interest, but also I just think it's the singular most, the single most important advancement um, of our lifetime. And I had some time, I had some money from my prior job, and I thought, you know, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Mm, am I going to wait? Time. So I, what I wanted to really do was write an optimistic story on AI. I think it's probably ends up, ends up being more neutral, but it's essentially one woman who has an implant in her brain, which is artificially intelligent and autonomous. So it's her relationship with this implant. Mm. Um, they're two different characters, and they have to save the world. What's the, name of it? It, what's the name of it? Does it have um, a name yet? It's called My and the Lonely Machine. But it's not readily available yet. No, it's not. So I'm we have to like we have to find you it. in real life and get a tran- <laughs> a manuscript for it. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing project that I, you know, I'm probably a perfectionist about it, but you know, I and I also think it needs to have the right person who wants to work on it, who's like passionate about these things and and believes in the yeah i was i was about to ask you how you write your own book this is the first thing you've written long form yeah how do you like how, i would be sh- crapping my pants trying to write <laughs> a long form book and then like who do i send this to that i can trust as an editor that like you just said that knows and cares about this topic i feel right. like that probably is incredibly daunting it is but it's just like just keep doing it. That's mm-hmm. the only thing you can tell yourself. It's really simple and stupid, but it is the truth. Like you're going to hit every wall. Everyone's going to tell you that this is crazy. And especially if you're an oil and gas investment banker who just quit her job. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I just envisioned you sending it to your oil and gas buddies. Like check out this thing I just wrote. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Right. So it's, it's painful, um, but it's like a beautiful thing to learn something new and it makes you think about the world. And like there are so many things that, at, you know, the end of 2016, early 2017, the world felt like it was a little bit in turmoil and I wanted to like figure these things out for myself. So writing a book forces you to just think about mm. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what do you look for as like inspirations to write or what do you enjoy to seek out kind of like in sci-fi? Do you have like a top thing that you adore and, and seek out on a regular basis? I mean, mine was more... And this is actually super unpopular in the publishing world right now, which is... Twilight. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, No, it's like the classic, like, hero's journey. Mm. Everybody, I think that's been so, yes, it's been done a billion times, but it still resonates with people. And for me, when I was growing up, I loved imagining myself in those, those kinds of stories. So I... I wanted to do justice to that while making it very relevant to like today's issues and it's set a hundred years from now. So like kind of visioning, envisioning something in the future. I took inspiration from, I mean, a thousand sources. It's, there's no one thing that I could point to and say this. I I would say Homo Deus like was probably one of the bigger books that really inspired me because I thought Harari had a really like holistic view of the future which so few people do right now Mm -hmm. 
Like, what happens? What happens if this book is like a raging success and you're also busy trying to save the world? What <laughs> What are you going to make a decision on at that point? Like, oh, maybe, maybe I should write another one, or I continue trying to save the future of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Writing is so important to me because in any sort of medium, I'm like really medium agnostic. Like, comic books are amazing because you have to fill in the gaps between these pictures, and like you have to, it forces you to dream about something. So I will always have a a bug, I think, to create something that like people can relate to and cling to and dream about like that. Maybe I'm not there yet, but mm. that is the dream, you know, and I'll find time to do it in between other things. In between saving all of us. <laughs> I may not have said it in this episode, but we are no doubt in for a Terminator 2 future scenario time travel arnold schwarzenegger guns and roses is all coming thanks to jess for coming on the show and having me question the existence of life itself you can follow her on twitter at jess underscore sf 38 i'll have a link to her account in the show notes and as well as any articles she mentioned uh, or research in the episode in the show notes real quick don't forget that we officially have faves merch here at paper keg radio syndicate and you're entitled to one for a simple iTunes review for the podcast. What do you enjoy about the show? What's your fave app? That's all it takes to write an iTunes review. Help spread the word of the show. Who's your favorite pro wrestler? What's your favorite WrestleMania match? And then I'll bug you for your address so I can ship you that sticker and essentially know where you live forever. Goodbye. Goodbye.